You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the Helping Spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well and died well and bring the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines into our lives. I call out to these ancestors who are ready, willing, and able to stand as true ancestral helping spirits, to stand with the living so that we are better able to meet the challenges of our time, to learn from those who have gone before us, and to do what is needed for those who are coming. We call out to these ancestors to help us to change what needs to be changed, to deeply and truly fundamentally transform those things that must be ended and made new, and to draw forward those things that have always been true for life here on earth, on earth, those things that consistently build and cultivate the quality, the strength, and the love of all the many things living on this planet. So we call out to the ancestors to help us to do that. Those ancestors in human form and non-human form, those who were here long before there was ever a human, we call out to these ancestors to gather around and be with us here today as well. And as the ancestors begin to gather and circle around us here today, let us call in ourselves from wherever we might be and draw our awareness and our energy into our head. And with a breath, we draw it from our head to our heart and from another breath from our heart to our belly. And from another deep breath, let us reach down and touch the earth and take a moment and just stop. Stop doing all the many things we do these days and just be for a moment in gratitude with the earth. Gratitude for life, gratitude for the fact of this day, the wonder of your breath, the beauty of all that is around you, the challenges ahead of you, for all that makes your blood rise, that makes your heart beat, and makes you want to be alive, wants you, what makes you want to bring your own gifts to the world. And we give gratitude to the earth for the great diversity and openness in this dreaming that allows us each to have the adventure that we need to become the man or the woman that we are here to be. So with enormous gratitude, we move our energy down through all the layers of the earth, moving down, giving thanks until we reach the very, very center of the earth. And we take a moment to connect with this energy, with the stillness, with the silence, with the power in this darkness, with this energy that is before, this energy that is the potential before it rises up to become the sweet abundance and diversity all around this planet. We give gratitude to that deep nourishment. And as we reach down into the energy of the earth, let us draw up into our own lives the energy that refreshes, restores, renews, replenishes. That's what helps us to live in a way that we can be trustworthy and dependable that we can connect 
and know how to be living in a good way with all things. And as we draw this energy up into our belly and from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind, let us breathe in and draw this energy in and connect with our knowing of how to be grounded here in life, that we can know where it is that we stand and what we stand for. And that we can build our sense of home on this, not just history, not just habit, not just tradition for the sake of tradition, but that we can build a sense on home for what ha- truly has heart and meaning for us in this day. And then we can do this in a way that is not just open to those who think like us and look like us, but to those who also are open to acknowledge the goodness of the heart. And so we call these energies into our lives that we might each become the men and women we were really meant to be through the provocation of those who are different than we are. And as we call this energy in, we learn how to connect within ourselves to other aspects of ourselves we don't pay that much attention to. We learn to connect with our environment in a good way, with our neighbors. We learn to connect with our energy in the invisible world, to connect and to interconnect and ultimately to know ourselves as part of this great web of life, to connect into the oneness and to draw that sense in and let that be the foundation for our right relationship, for everything in our lives. And so with the earth energy rising up in our being, let's move our energy up and out, out through our head, out through the sky above and whatever weather it holds for you, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And we connect here to the radiant energies, whether we see them as the sun or the moon or the stars or simply know them as the divine energy by whatever name we call that energy. We connect to this energy and begin to draw it down into our lives, into our day, into these proceedings. We call in the essence energy of blessing, the energy of protection and generosity and commitment that which stands with us to face the challenges of life, that which we find in our spine when things go sideways, that which we feel in our gut when we have to rise up because our life is asking for more more from us than we planned. We call out for these energies to be with us here today. And as we draw these energies in, we draw the energy down our heads to our heart and our hearts to our belly and all the way down to the center of the earth and in this way we let heaven and earth meet and merge and mix within us this is one of the great great honors and opportunities of being human is to be this being in which heaven and earth come together these great legendary lovers and this big love that births all this experience this illusion of form that we all live in so passionately that we are this place that these two legendary lovers come together and may their big love awaken the spirit of our own hearts and may our hearts open as the great crucible of transformation that they are meant to be and may we call up the fiery passions of our belly into that crucible and call down the crystal clarity of the mind and the chakras above and draw these energies in in the heart to let them mix and merge and dance in such a way that they give birth to a third and most sacred thing And that is our reason for being here, our memory of why we are here, our sense of those things that we truly believe in, that we must do in this life. And may you find in that human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring what you find there, your gifts, your talents, whatever it is, your medicine that you have to bring to the world. May you do something in this day, large or small, to bring it. 
And so we give great gratitude to all of the energies that circle around us to support us in this. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I am grateful to you out there, the listeners, you living things. Um, I'm very, very thankful to those of you that are able to continue to support the show financially to help to keep it on the air, pay the bills, that makes that happen. For those of you that are just tuning in, the show is available free for all on iTunes at whyshamanismnow.com and at co-creatornetwork.com. It's available free years, literally years of show archives um, because other listeners donate financially to help us pay the bills to keep keep the show available. And if you'd like to do that, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button. You can donate any amount, large or small. But the whole point of this is that you do this because there's something about this show that moves you, that it uh, irritates you, maybe it excites you and inspires you, but that it does something that moves you in the heart. And this is the most fundamental of shamanic acts is that we learn to allow that which motivates our heart to motivate our actions in the world and so that our understanding of power as an expression of our love is not fluffy and silly and filled with unicorns and rainbows but it is a true effort in life to manifest with our thoughts words and deeds those things that have meaning and purpose as we understand that in our own heart And so I want to give thanks to Kimberly and Gretchen, a last mass community, to Christopher, Kim, Lynn, Sherwood, Katrina, Evelyn, and all the listeners who have donated. And to those of you that have done other things to help the show to grow, I give great gratitude to you for sharing and uh, giving feedback about the shows. Of course, it's important to let us know which show you're talking about, since many of you listen to the shows out of order. And there are many, many ways that this work matters, but it matters most because we choose to use it. And so for those of you that are working with the ideas that are shared here on the show, thank you, especially those of you that take a moment to send me an email and let me know how that's working or not in your life because it is your questions and your frustrations and your wondering about how to make it work better that turn into the shows like the one we're having today. So today's show is about ethics in shamanic practice and about making hard choices. Um, And we are live today, so if you have a question about this topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.com. So today's show is actually um, inspired directly from a recent email from a listener. Um, She wrote to ask about the shamanic point of view on intending a miracle for someone with aggressive, potentially terminal brain cancer. And the listener's email continued in this way. She says, a dear friend of mine just underwent her second tumor removal. They got it all the first time two years ago, but not this time. The doctors have told us that they don't know how long she has to live. We are both, uh, she is part of our shamanic and Wiccan community here, and we are all shaken by this. Now, while this is a true story, I'm sharing the story also because I hear this all the time. You all hear this all the time. This is not uncommon in today's world. This is a very, very common challenge that we are faced with in our lives. And so the issue in the email continues. So part of the community that include the listener and the woman who um, has been having brain surgery um, 
they want to gather for a prayer circle to make magic and intend a miracle for full recovery. So the listener continues saying that she finds it difficult because she says, in my heart, I question whether this would be in her highest good. Of course, I don't want to see her die, and she very much wants to live. But I also very strongly believe that great illness teaches great lessons. And what if there is something the cancer came here to teach? We don't know what her immortal soul intends, nor the contents of soul contracts she has made for this lifetime. I don't feel it is my place to intend something that may cure her body, but may not promote long-term healing, spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, as Leslie Bryan explained on your show on shamanic work at end of life. And so the listener is referring to a lovely show by a shamanic practitioner named Leslie Bryan, who works specifically in hospice and other end-of-life situations. And so she's referring to some really insightful things Leslie had to say on that show. And you can find that most easily by just going to her name, Leslie, B-R-Y-A-N. I don't know, the, the listener continues, I don't know the form that the healing needs to take or how long it needs to take. It may be that the cancer is a catalyst. If anything, I would rather pray to Great Spirit to do what is in her best interests, whatever that may be, and not make the decision myself. Now, the email continues. I mean, I, you know, what she's saying makes sense. And this is, this is the crux of the challenge, right? How do we best apply the many, many healing forms that are available to us at this time? Everything from allopathic, from the brain surgery the woman got, all the way through the most esoteric and subtle energy practices. This, this is the challenge of ethics. And so then the listener continues, when I expressed my views in her circle, she says she was politely asked to not attend the upcoming prayer circle. And she agreed. Um, and she believes that she can be of, of a greater resource to her friends in supporting her in a way that's more aligned with her sense of um, right practice, I guess. And so the woman continues, because she's been studying shamanism for a while, and she says, I remember distinctly my first shamanic teacher saying that when clients with cancer came to her, referred by their doctors, asking if she could cure them, she told them she didn't know. What she was there to do was to restore them to balance. And this is a very common explanation for what shamanism is for, is to restore you to balance. And... um, So the woman continues in her email. She told us she struggled with whether she should even do this because the cancer might be coming to teach them. At the time, I thought this was a rather odd thing to say. Shouldn't we always want to remove cancer and other life-threatening diseases at all costs? Now I understand what she meant. And so ultimately from this email, her question was, what do shamanic teachings say about intending miracles? So here we see a really common example. This, this, while this is a specific story, it's very familiar. We see the collision. It's a very common collision between the ancient teachings of shamanism and other practices, other ancient practices of healing, and the beliefs and values that support them, and New Age positive thinking. And what I can say from my own decades of experience, which is all I really have to speak from, is that miracles have happened, many actually. And they have happened when my client and I are most out of the way of what needs and wants to happen. And I have yet to see it happen on command. I don't think real miracles come from the realm that humans command. 
no matter how much love and compassion motivates their commanding. Miracles come when we surrender into love and into the flow and into the not knowing and the uncertainty. Miracles come when we surrender into how small we are when we become aware of ourselves as part of the great oneness. This is, in my experience, when the miracles come. Miracles come when we have the courage to move beyond the reach of our will, which is a powerful thing. But the miracles come when we move beyond the reach of our will and our positive thinking, the reach of our mind, and participate in something much larger than we are. And when we cultivate a life that nourishes our relationship with that much larger than we are thing, with that great mystery, when we cultivate a relationship with that energy in the way we go about every day, we cultivate a relationship with miracles. I don't believe that miracles come out of the realm that we command, and there are realms humans command, but it isn't the realm of miracles. And miracles are here for us in every day. And we can live in a way that cultivates our relationship with that realm, the realm in which things like miracles come from. So her question was really a question about ethics, right? So I was a responsible radio show host here, and I looked at the Code of Ethics from the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, And I looked at the um, writings about ethics from the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. And there's a nice article by uh, Steve Shear off um, Shaman Portal. It's been up there for a while. You can just Google. uh, Actually, if you just Google ethics and shamanism, it's one of the first things that comes up. And um, I also looked for pieces from outside of the United States. And there was a nice piece from the UK from the Therapeutic Shamanism Practitioner Register. And there's really quite a lot out there. And frankly, it's all really pretty consistent and (laughs) long-winded. Why? You know, why is something that should be as obvious as ethics so long-winded? And we'll come back around to that if we have time here today. So one thing I will say about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners site, even though it is currently being uh, reworked right now, you can still go to their part in the members section. You can still go to their part about ethics. And there is a very good short version of a good sense of integrity and shamanic practice listed there. Um, So if you want a short version to work with, um, you could work with that. And then they also have a long version um, by Allian... Ali Knowlton and Evelyn Reisdyke, and I've had Evelyn on the show several times, and um, they have a practice they call Spirit Passages up in Maine, and um, at the same place on the Society of Shamanic Practitioners site, they have a very long article about ethics in shamanism, and um, it's a really particularly good version, and it is more, much more extensive than anything else I found anywhere. Um, And partly because it risks actually pissing people off and actually saying something definitive definitive enough that could it it could be read as a if you don't do this you can't call yourself a shaman, (laughs) which I appreciate somebody being willing to not just be middle of the road about everything. Um, And anyway, what this particular document offers that 
most of the others didn't was essential prerequisites to become a shamanic practitioner and includes things like maturity, intelligence, and stability in addition to raw talent. And thank goodness, right? Someone's finally writing that down. Um, Then there's a really comprehensive good list for required training from another shaman. So what is it that we can actually learn from other people? So we don't have to reinvent every wheel. That's a good thing. And then another list about your required training from your helping spirits or your tutelary spirits, as they say. And that's also really important because they do a very good job of sorting out, you know, what is yours to learn here as a human with other humans and what is yours to to cultivate with your helping spirits. And this confusion is actually one of the places that people get messed up in their ethical application of their shamanic practices. So I really appreciate um, Evie and Ali for writing this and sharing it with the world. And then the other thing I like at the very end is there's also a piece on quality assurance. I mean, it's really um, a very comprehensive document. So if this is something you're really contemplating in your life, I suggest that you get a hold of these copies from the um, shamansociety.org website. Okay. So let me summarize what I found, though, for y'all. Okay, at the essence, all of these resources, as I said, they really are pretty consistent. And so the general responsibilities, and this is a piece from um, Ali and Evie's piece from Spirit Passages, is shamanic practitioners' primary accountability is to their spirit teachers in the unseen world in both their professional and personal life. There can be no compartmentalization in a shamanic practitioner's life. This maintains the highest standards of the profession. Shamanic practitioners also value professional competence, objectivity, and integrity. They consistently examine use and attempt to expand the knowledge upon which their practice is based, working to ensure that their services are used appropriately and accepting responsibility for the consequences of their work. Now, a short version of this would be that um, a shamanic practitioner's primary accountability is to work in sacred alliance with the spirits. Now, this is important. And I, I receive questions once in a while and I realize, wow, this person doesn't really know what it means to be a shamanic practitioner or a shamanic healer. And that's okay. I mean, it is the contemporary world and we're, we're relearning what this means. But it's important to understand if you're going to start mobilizing shamanic healing forms towards another person, someone other than yourself, even with their permission. If you're not actually operating at the standard this little paragraph just said, you shouldn't be doing that. That is the first ethical consideration with shamanism. Shamanic healing is really easy to do. It is very hard to do well. It is very hard to do ethically and with integrity and so this would be my first thing I would say about ethical considerations is if you have not committed yourself to being a shamanic practitioner and or a shamanic or and a shamanic healer why are you offering shamanic healing to someone no matter how much you love them and no matter how much you don't want them to die so continuing with my little summary here of of everybody's ideas about um, ethics and, and again, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. I think that there's a lot of good work being done and people are very concerned. So the second thing would be is um, to be in integrity as a practitioner um, 
requires informed consent and express permission. This is a really gray line for a lot of people. And this is true even in situations when you are working with a child, with animals, with places, or with adults in situations that don't allow them to give direct consent like a coma. And you can read a lot about this and many versions of this issue around permission and what does it mean to get informed consent and express permission um, on the Foundation for Shamanic Studies site. There's a um, article about ethical considerations that just discusses this and and so if this is confusing to you you might want to go to the foundation for shamanic studies site which is shamanism.org and look under their ethics and something else uh, in one of the little drop down boxes but basically what this means is it is not ethical to simply do work on someone because you're helping spirits tell you it's okay that is not ethical ever that you need to get express permission from the person who wants the work done. And furthermore, if the person is not able to give express permission because they are in a coma, for example, and obviously in, you know, they just had an accident and they're a dire need for help, you need not only permission from their family, um, but you need to journey to the spirit of the person and ask, what are they trying to do? Because sometimes a coma represents a situation where the person is actually trying to exit. And because we have such amazing life-saving measures with EMT work these days, they've been pulled back and they're trying to go and now they're stuck in an in-between place. And so this is a very tricky thing because you may get permission to quote-unquote save a loved one by the living family members, but the loved one, once you journey to them, might say, I'm trying to get out of here. Can you help me? And so you need to honor the request of the soul that you are helping, even if it's a child. And this is very, very hard to do. Ethics, you know, there's a, one of the one of the articles about ethics talked about you know create you know everybody talking about this so we can create a code of ethics we all feel comfortable with and I thought hmm I don't think we're supposed to be comfortable with our code of ethics I think that's the whole point of a code of ethics is it helps us understand what to do when the right thing to do is outside of our comfort zone and this is one of those places so the other thing is recognizing um this is Society of Shamanic Practitioners also has, um, I'm spacing out right now on the name, but a good book about working um, at a distance, working with the spirits of a place, working after a natural disaster and um, things like that. And there, all of the ethical considerations around getting permission from a place to help after there's been some form of damage, either natural or human created. And so there's just... It is really important to not just go in guns a-blazing because you believe you're a good person and you want to help. You need to ask uh, and really discover what is going on in a situation. What if that big natural disaster we're all panicking about was actually needed by the earth to balance the earth's energy so that it could continue to support life? You know, so where's your ethics and your integrity there? When you come to understand that as much as there's been a huge loss, for example, of human life somewhere, the earth needed to make that change. You know, the earth needed that volcano to go off. So I don't know. I mean, the, the, the point is, if you can journey, you can ask, and you should. And we, we humans almost never really know what's going on until we start asking. 
So beyond this, these two, then there's kind of two types of principles for um, ethics around a practice. And, and, you know, a bunch of them are what would be shared by most practitioners in any form of healing or care, which is confidentiality, honoring privacy, honoring honesty, integrity, being respectful of clients and colleagues and their differences. And this is something I think shamanic practitioners actually aren't very good at. They can be pretty bitchy on Facebook about people's differences. And so this is, but this is a place that's important in all fields is to be respectful of clients and, uh, and your colleagues who feel differently than you do. Um, set your ego and your interests aside for the benefit of your client. That's pretty typical for practitioners in any, any service, right? Do no harm. Don't have sex with your clients. <laughs> I mean, these are all, you know, we shouldn't have to write these down because these all have to do with being a good, mature person. But nonetheless, here they are. And, you know, the thing with shamanism that's also important because, for example, if we're doing soul retrieval, I can tell as I work with people that the experience of having a soul retrieval, and I don't mean just mine. I mean the experience of soul retrieval for many people is the most intimate and intense experience they have ever had. That another human is is touching their soul with compassion and helping them to repair the great soul woundedness of their life and doing so hopefully with humor and with some form of excellence hopefully. For many people that intimacy is, is absolutely unique in their life, that level of intense intimacy. It is very easy for people then to become attached to shamanic practitioners as students, wanting to be friends, wanting to connect into the practitioner's life because of the intensity of that heartfelt intimacy and that that person who has literally touched their soul. So it's even more important then for shamanic practitioners because of the nature of the work to watch, stay out of not just sexually problematic gray areas with their clients, but you need to be really careful about becoming friends. That I hear all these stories. Well, first they were my shamanic practitioner, you know, and then we became friends. And then I decided to study with him or her for a while. And then we stopped doing that. And then we were friends again. And then I needed a healing. And I went to them because, of course, I trust them so much. And it was really messy. That's really common in shamanic circles. And practitioners need to have the maturity to understand where those lines are, to be loving and compassionate and intimate with people and to know where those boundaries and lines are around how far into those friendships it's really right for you to go if you are maintaining the role as shamanic healer and practitioner. It's very, very complex here. And I I feel that contemporary people who are pretty poor in their understanding about boundaries in the first place make um, misstep here all the time for all the right reasons because they love each other in a good way and they want to build community but we are still work we contemporary people are still working to understand how to do that and then you know and the another common one which of course a lot of other uh, professions don't bother doing at all but you should be fair about your fees and as a client you should expect that there will be fees but as a practitioner you need to be fair about your fees 
I heard someone talking once about a shamanic practitioner and they said, wow, this person must be really good. It cost over $1,000 to have a soul retrieval. I was like, wow, that is so unfortunate. Anyway, so so that's, you know, this, this uh, aspect of the ethics around shamanism that really are not unique to shamanism, right? Be mindful of your thoughts, words, and deeds and how all of these things impact the relationships that you are creating with your client. You are in the position of rank, privilege, and power as the practitioner. It is your responsibility to shape the creation of that relationship, and to watch the boundaries, particularly if you're working with someone who doesn't have good boundaries. And so your thoughts, your words, your deeds matter very much in that. The other thing that's important in these, well, I think it's actually important in any kind of engagement with human beings, but in particular with shamanism, working with compassion and non-judgment is very important. And as um, Sayer explains in his version of this it's a nice little paragraph that judgment judgment refers to the presence of the practitioner's personal opinions all right so this is this is important because they're coming to you for shamanic healing so my understanding of that is they they are not coming to me for my opinion they are coming to me for my ability to understand what the situation is to craft the right questions right meaning the questions, when taken to spirit, will bring through a diagnosis that is accurate and a remedy that is helpful. That's my job. My personal opinion about any of it is irrelevant. And that's what he's saying here. That judgment refers to the presence of a practitioner's personal opinions. And when it comes to shamanic practice, personal ideas, expectations, hopes, opinions, and feelings, and I would add here needs and shadow issues, are even more detrimental, back to Seer, even more detrimental, for they are precisely what clogs the ability to clearly access the wisdom and healing capacity of the spirits. Because remember, back to the beginning, a shamanic practitioner is a shamanic practitioner because they are working with the spirits. Not because I personally, Christina, know anything. It's because I'm creating a means by which the spirit energies can more directly impact the person in their life. That's what a shamanic healer does. And so my job as a practitioner is to do everything I can to get out of the way of that. And this is what Sear is explaining here. So in other words, as a practitioner, your stuff colors your ability to see the situation, to craft the right question, and to interpret accurately. So imagine how hard this is if we go back to the situation of the listener who wrote the email that prompted the show. Here are these people in a circle who've been working together shamanically, and it's also a Wiccan circle, I gather. They've been together for years. They've been involved with each other in, in all these good community ways. And now all of a sudden, someone amongst them is facing death. And so just think, everybody's stuff is going to start coloring their ability to see that situation accurately, to craft the right questions, and to interpret it accurately. In other words, our stuff clouds our ability to work shamanically, period. And then furthermore, Sear says, intuitive information and psycho- – no, furthermore, I say, sorry. <laughs> intuitive information and psychological information, though valuable, also block the flow of shamanic information. So I would be very wary of the kind of shamanic practitioner you're going to for shamanic healing who no longer journeys at all. Because now you're getting intuitive healing. Nothing wrong with intuitive healing. 
unless what you went came for was shamanic healing. They are not the same thing. And we need to start to understand that, especially as practitioners who practice multiple forms. I don't. So that makes this easier for me, but a lot of people do. Um, so this place, this ability to work without judgment is a place of very, very blurry lines for contemporary practitioners. And remember, your clients are there for shamanic healing. Or if you are one of those people that has a really interesting hybrid of stuff, make sure that that is what you are advertising accurately to people so they understand they're not getting shamanic healing. They're, get a, they're getting a hybrid of whatever that has shamanic healing influences in it. Okay, so all this stuff were the principles for ethics that really apply across the board to many professions. What's interesting to me is the things on the list that actually really apply heavily in shamanic practices. And the first one is energetic hygiene. The, and most of these things actually came from the UK list and I really like them. Energetic hygiene, it is your responsibility as the practitioner to make sure that your personal energy is clear and that your space is clear. I really wonder about people who have no time between clients. I have 30 minutes between clients, at least I try to, so that I can make sure that I have been able to take the time to clear the space and clear myself of everything that just happened with the client before. So energetic hygiene is important, but energetic hygiene is also important in the scheduling process, in the preparation that you offer the person before your sessions, in the integration you offer in following up and whatever else is part of the follow-up process. I mean, the the ease with which a person is able to do that and and the degree to which they are educated and clear about what they're getting, that's also energetic hygiene. So personal fitness is another one, meaning you know when you need to take a break and you know how to nourish yourself when you're taking that break and that you know when to ask for help and that you ask for help. This is really, really important in terms of your personal fitness. And Allie and Evie do a great job talking about this in that long extended version I talked about in the beginning of the show. So an example that I'll share with you is I had four reasons I don't want to go into. I had somewhat of a backlog of um, people waiting for long distance sessions as I came into my winter time when I really need to take a break from clients and students and people that are demanding things from me, which is, which is fine because that's my job, but I need a break from it in the winter. And, so, and I like to come into that winter time with no one waiting in the queue for long distance sessions. And for a number of reasons, I wasn't able to create that this year. And so I was really trying at the, at really the end of my reserves at the end of a long and full year to, to show up for these people because I didn't want them to have to wait for a whole nother month before I could get into their sessions again. And my helping spirits actually started talking back to me. They started saying, you know, you said last time, just one more. And I, I want, and many of these clients were also students and I wanted so, so much to not have them have to wait through the wintertime season with these unresolved issues. And, um, I was really just this one more and they just looked at me and they all turned around and walked away. 
And that was the place where I really didn't live up to what I consider my integrity as a practitioner. I was over the line. I was over the line for all the right reasons, but that was on me. I was not managing my boundaries. And when I finally came back to the practice, uh, my healing practice, which was sort of delayed because I had a lot of teaching in early January, everybody was really happy to see me. Everybody was there. We're all ready to go back to work again. But, but the look on their faces and, and my knowing, their knowing, they didn't need to say any, anything, but just the look on their faces of just like, you know, we have to walk away to protect you from yourself because you're being such an idiot right now. <laughs> this is on us people as practitioners to take care of ourselves and some of you don't have helping spirits like mine some of you have helping spirits who will just keep going at it see I have helping spirits where we have an agreement that they are not going to let me die of my clients illnesses that that's an arrangement that I made but don't even explain how that happened but anyway the point point is Many people don't have that arrangement with your helping spirits and you do not understand that it is your job as the human to hold on to your human boundaries. Your helping spirits are not necessarily going to do that unless you've made that arrangement. Otherwise, they'll just work you into the ground. Okay, so moving right along. Got a little distracted there. Um, Okay, so another thing that is really important for shamanic healers and shamanic work because it's all about what is going on in the deeper reality and how do we interpret that how do we diagnose what's an appropriate remedy all of that stuff is really tricky for humans shamanic practitioners to be in integrity need appropriate detachment from drama from their own projections from transference their own or their clients and from despair from things exactly like this listener's question when someone is dear to us and we do not want to lose them that is not their problem and that is a really hard place to be but we need to understand to be in integrity in a shamanic practice you must learn to detach another thing is reputation Um, and I think that this is important and and what reputation meant on everybody's lists was that you behave as a practitioner in a way that has an awareness of the larger field of shamanism so that you act in a way that supports and cultivates contemporary humanity's growing respect for and understanding of shamanism as a valid healing option that you don't behave in such a way that reinforces people's idea that shamans are quacks or fakes and it's really important and uh the next thing is, and this is a massive need for shamanic healers, but you must keep your personal life, growth, and professional development aligned with your practices and your teachings and your own well-being. And you must learn when to ask for help. And then finally, for shamanic practitioners, it's understanding if you're going to stay in integrity to your practice, you will be working with your helping spirits to cultivate yourself for your entire life. There is no graduation and certification and you're done. It's not like academia. It is a lifetime endeavor for the change and cultivation of your soul. Okay, so that's that's pretty much what's out there. And and it's good. I, people are, are very sincerely working really hard to get this together. 
So now here are the parts that I think are important that are not either wholly represented or perhaps are kind of undeveloped in the references that I've shared with you. Um, so part of this is part of it is this understanding of what we are here to do as shamanic practitioners. I don't think it's just to create balance because honestly, sometimes I really destabilize people because they are really locked in into a particular kind of balance in their own life that is killing them. It's not even that it's bad or unhealthy. I mean, and, and what I mean by that is this is the kind of client that comes to me and says, I have this, 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 this in my life. I love it all. And my soul is dying. What's going on? So that person is in balance, but their soul is crying out for something more, something different. And everything that's in their life has brought them to that place. So there's nothing bad and there's nothing wrong. They are not out of balance. They just need to transform and getting out of that kind of balance and destabilizing and being uncertain and working with the the unknown in a way that doesn't trash everything that's important in their life is really tricky. So it's not always just about balance. And it's not just about creating wholeness either. Now, I, I guess one could argue that in every shamanic healing, we're moving towards a kind of wholeness. But I believe that while these things are correct, I believe they are still too small. That if we're really going to understand shamanism in its integrity, we need to understand that shamanic work comes out of ideas about the world that begin with a great mystery. That there is a great mystery and there is a flow out of that great mystery that is the flow of life. And that shamanic practitioners are here to serve that flow of life. And that it's very important to understand that we're not here just to do what's good for people. That we are here to serve life itself and, and death and, you know, the animal world, the plant world, the whole everything. Because all of it is required for life to flourish. So, I think that we are here to realign people, places, and things in right relationship with that flow of life. And, and that flow of life meaning that it's good for all things. And that's big. And in that, I have to say for people, I believe that a person's ability to live their soul's purpose is what is best for all things. For all thi- That's why they're here. That's, that's their place in the great web of life. But again, I think... We could, I think that we, we as practitioners could continue to expand our understanding of what we're doing as practitioners to an understanding that is more shamanic and less contemporary. Now, there's another piece here which is about pain. And this is the problem with positive thinking is there is a tendency to ignore or dismiss pain and suffering. And, so, and it is important in shamanic healing to honor and respect people's the the presenting pain and their suffering and to understand that pain is not always the problem and I can sit sometimes as I do my intake with people this is not so bad over the phone with people but in person this can be really a powerful impact that people are so invested in the reality of their story that is shaping their life and a result of that story and how it shapes their life is the pain that they're in. 
and that they're so deeply invested without knowing it in that story that they begin to twist and manipulate reality. And I can feel that happening as I'm talking with them. And the truth of the matter is, it is important to respect and honor and acknowledge their pain and suffering. But you can't jump down in that hole with them if you're going to practice shamanism because you won't ask the right questions. And so this whole thing about respecting pain and suffering and not necessarily buying into it is really important uh, because the stories that are pain is often just a symptom of the actual real issue now so that's one piece of my i think there's more of a conversation about pain that needs to happen because the other piece about pain is after we get past the i'm in pain which is telling me i need to change my life place and now we're changing our life and we're involved in a transformational process at once we're in kind of like phase two of getting our life realigned with our soul's purpose pain is not necessarily a bad thing in fact pain certain kinds of pain may actually be the sign in a certain phase of your transformation that you're actually challenging your comfort zone and transforming things that you have for many years been deeply invested in but you want very much to change so pain may be actually the sign that you're doing it so that's a tricky place to discern that and if we just go at pain with this whole sort of mother Teresa um, compassion love acknowledge and jump into that hole with them we may not actually be able to have the perspective we need to be good practitioners we not we may not be able to say yeah you know what that pain's not going to kill you and you really need to focus on this over here because i have seen people fail to integrate soul parts because they didn't want to face a little bit of pain necessary to do it and you know what pain doesn't kill us doesn't mean we want to be in it because we make terrible decisions when we're in pain. But there are many steps along the process to healing that are painful. And if we just don't want to go there, we're not going to go where we need to go. So there needs to be more of a conversation around pain. Now, the big place we need more of a conversation is around working with the dead. Because we, we culturally don't get this right now because of the gap between what is in the traditional shamanic teachings around the dead, which is still valid, and the new things we need to understand about the dead because we are making such a mess around death because of how we are living and how we are tending people at death. So if we want to talk about integrity around working with the dead – especially the issue of permission, then we need to talk about what I'm going to call true old-fashioned psychopomp, which is what fits into traditional practices. And I'm going to separate that from dealing with the unresolved dead, which is a very contemporary issue. So true old-fashioned psychopomp would just be somebody, some the rare individual who didn't get tended at death because they were away from home, they died by accident, uh, whatever reason – but they weren't tended at death and they're lost and they don't know they're dead and they haven't made it to the land of the dead. And that you arrive as a shamanic healer. Hi, what's going on? Oh, I'm sorry. You don't understand that you died on that day. And would you like some help going where you need to go? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Okay. And then off you go. Off you have a psychopomp. And maybe there's some issues like please tell my mom I loved her and I didn't really mean to run over the cat or something. I mean I don't mean to be flippant but – Traditional psychopomp is basically here's a soul, they're lost, they don't know what's going on and they're basically willing and able to cross over. And the job of the shaman at that point is simply to lead them, to get them to where they need to go. Now, 
this is the deal, though. What most of the writings say is that in the case of psychopomp work or other shamanic healing involving souls, permission is still required. Souls are souls, living or dead. When a journey, uh, when when journeying to help a deceased person, their soul should be asked what, if anything, it wants done. Okay, this is the problem. The dead don't always know what they need. The other problem is while souls may be souls, once you are dead, everything changes. And what traditional shamans understood that contemporary shamans are very new agey about and frustrates the hell out of me is that the dead cannot be here with the living. Ghosts are problems for the living. And the living are problems for ghosts. It's unhealthy for both the living and the dead. For anyone who is dead, who is not a proper ancestral helping spirit, to be hanging out here. And we have, and so in that case, to simply ask permission. It's like, honestly, as the living, you don't need permission to conduct a soul over. It's polite to ask what you need and to be helpful, but the dead, you don't know these days whether this is a true traditional sort of classic psychopomp moment where that soul just needs help getting where they need to go, or you're actually dealing with the unresolved dead who are stuck here and they don't want to go. They want to keep getting whatever that thing is that they didn't get or they want done and that they're, they have no intention of leaving. And so, so this is a very messy place. And in that place of shamanic healing, which is a really important and big part of shamanic healing, this issue around permission needs to be understood differently. Because as the living, working with the dead, it is your responsibility to move the dead on to where they belong, to the land of the dead. Whether they choose to come back as proper ancestral helping spirits or not is their choice to make, right? But hanging around here as a ghost is not okay. If someone says, no, thanks, I, I don't need any help. Um, I just want to hang out here with my loved ones and haunt them is effectively what's happening. It doesn't matter how compassionate that dead ghost is, dead person is as a ghost. If they have not completed their journey to the land of the dead, they are not prepared to function as a proper ancestral helping spirit. And their presence will be harmful to the living, particularly the children. It doesn't matter that they're good. What matters is they are in the wrong place. And this is this deep understanding in the integrity of all the traditional practitioners I have ever witnessed anywhere on this planet is that they understand what does it mean to tend the live and the dead and how that these are different. And it isn't true actually that souls are souls because once someone is dead, the rules change. They still deserve respect. They still re deserve to be honored. You still want to, you have to work with them because even if they're the unresolved dead, whatever has got them stuck has to be undone. And so it's not like you can just, you know, say, you know, my pump muscles are bigger than your desire to stay here and I'm dragging you over. That doesn't work. You have to work with them. But you, you can't just say, oh, no, I don't have permission. Okay, fine. Then you stay here and continue to torture your, your descendants. It's not okay. So we need some work here in this particular area, I think, in understanding where integrity really lies when you're working with the dead. I also feel that in working with children, 
my perspective is this. I have seen far too much soul loss because the soul in a child was not honored and respected. We have to remember the soul is not a child. The soul is never a child. The soul is eternal, right? The, the, the human part is a child. So while the child may be too young to give me permission, the soul is never too young to give permission. So while I agree that if you're going to work with a child under 12 or whatever, that you should get the permission of both parents, that you should never work with anyone living without that soul's permission, no matter what age they are. And I frankly find the souls in infants, some of the wisest beings I have ever come in contact with connected to a human. So there's no problem. I mean, if I can journey to someone in a coma and ask permission to work with them, I can journey to a child and ask their soul permission to work with them. And there is no reason I shouldn't. Right. So I consider that a place we need to really look at the permission thing too. So when we look at the ancient practice of shamanism, the ethics are actually explained in this way. It's not this blah, blah, blah that we have to go through. But part of the reason we are so long-winded about this is because as a culture, we have normalized living without integrity in terms of morals and ethics. And so consequently, we have to list everything, even though much of what's on that list should actually be the ethics for just being a grown-up. Right? But anyway, still – the lists aren't bad. But when you look at it from an ancient perspective, the issue is really this. Are you manipulating through your efforts, your shamanic efforts, a person, place, or thing into doing it what it would not do naturally in alignment with his or her own true nature and right placement? Or are you assisting a person, place, or thing in realigning with his or her true nature and right placement? So the question is, in, in terms of integrity, the fundamental question is, are you manipulating the outcome? And this, of course, if we circle back around to the beginning of the show, this is the problem with intending a specific miracle. Because if you remember, the prayer circle was going to intend the miracle of a full recovery. So these human beings have now defined that as the path, the correct path forward. And they are now going to manipulate energy towards that end. And that is the piece that is out of integrity from a shamanic perspective with that intention. There is nothing wrong with wanting to help a dying friend. But if we want a miracle to come through, we need to offer that help in a way that allows us to engage the realm that miracles come from. And it is not in that realm where human beings think they know what's going on because the bottom line is, people, we almost never really do. There's so much more going on here than we as contemporary people are aware of. And that if what you want is a miracle, you need to touch that realm. And you touch that realm through surrender and through being willing to go into that place of not knowing. So I give enormous gratitude to the helping spirits that help us relearn this over and over and over again every time humanity forgets it. So I give thanks to our ancestors, human and otherwise. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. So I just want to let everybody know that class registration is up on the lastmaskcenter.org website. You can register for classes through the calendar. And what's important to know is that there's a basic journeying class here in Portland, March 7th. There's still a couple spaces in that. 
um, healing the ancestral lines, the training for doing ancestral healing, which requires strong journeying, but otherwise you're welcome to come, is happening March 13th through 15th here in Portland. And Massive Illusion and the Authentic Self, the beginning of the cycle training, begin, uh, starts in July of uh, in Tucson, Arizona this year. And um, all of these are open and ready for registration at this time. So have a good week, everyone.